On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Supper's Ready. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we take a very fine-tuned, deep-in-the-weeds dive into Supper's Ready. Welcome to this somewhat unique palaver. I don't know that we've ever done an entire episode on a single song before, have we? It feels like it, but no. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. We did spend an episode's worth of time uh, covering (laughs) Owner of a Lonely Heart, as I recall, on the 90125 (laughs) Maybe Easter. I don't know. I can think of a few tracks that would be worthy of that. Yeah. Well, we may we may, we may have we may have talked about Awaken that long on the original uh, lost recording of our going for the one episode, but ah, but it's lost. That's true. It is lost. We will never know. So, as we were doing our Foxtrot episode, the edited version of which clocked in at an hour and forty-four minutes, actually an hour and forty-five minutes, I was left with the fear at the end of that that we had not somehow done Supper's Ready justice. And so I believe in real time we had suggested this episode. And as we've gone on and exposed ourselves to more things, um, you know, this this idea sort of kept percolating around and, and here we are. And I'm going to be honest with you, when we decided de- definitively to do this, probably a few weeks ago, I had my concerns as to whether or not we were going to be able to pull this off. Like, what the hell were we going to talk about? But as I really, you know, dove into this and started digging around, uh, I'm I'm not at all concerned that we're going to have more than enough to uh, to talk about here, because this song. I mean, I it, and I think we talked about this on, on the Foxtrot episode, and Paul, I think you had a similar sort of experience in that when we discovered Genesis in our mid-teens or whatever it was, and, and we were discovering, yes, we weren't really ready for these massive prog songs, and I personally, you know, latched on to some of the, the Yes long-form songs more quickly than I did this, and I went through probably most of my life appreciating the value of Supper's Ready, but maybe not appreciating the actual beauty of it, until we were prepping for the palaver, you know, last year is when I started, and and it was just like, you know, at this point, it just became obvious. But doing the prep work for this episode, and 
seeing the 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 sheer breadth of performances of this song all of which in some shape or form are utterly spectacular has just really opened my eyes to exactly how fantastic a piece of music this is hmm. it's just stunning to me i kept thinking over the last few days about the rick wakeman quote in in the 1992 video about you know yes being like you know the london symphony or whatever in that it just continues on and all these different versions of Supper's Ready made me think of that because you've got all these different people who are now performing this piece of music. And I guess the other thing that's really, really fascinating to me about it, just sort of as a, as a 10,000 foot entry level observation, and it makes sense because we talked about it, is how well this very long, very complex piece of music can be performed live. You know, mm -hmm. it and mm -hmm. and the reason that is is because mm -hmm. they were performing it live before they recorded it, as opposed to you know some of the other ways to do that. So it it was sort of I think in some ways it was probably constructed for live performance from its inception, and it maybe that's what gives it some life here. I don't know, but I have just thoroughly enjoyed this exercise. Mm. Uh, to be a little bit of a, a, a stick in the mud, as they say, it, they, they were performing sections of Supper's Ready Live, but it, it would be a stretch to say that they actually nailed the whole thing end to end, right? I mean, uh, they multi-tracked and they punched in and Willow Farm was done separately from everything else, my understanding. That says maybe, but certainly they worked out how to do this. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. you know. Fair enough, fair enough. So, I, I, mm. I just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just... I, I think in our Supper's, and uh, in, in our Foxtrot episode, we said, well, it was not what Eddie offered, but it was right. to get. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Let's quickly read the wiki uh, summary for this song, because that's what we do. So mm -hmm. it was... Um, it was recorded in August of 1972. The album Foxtrot was released in October of 1972 on the label Charisma and Virgin in the UK and Atlantic in the US. Songwriters are credited as Tony Banks, Phil Collins, Peter Gabriel, Steve Hackett, and Mike Rutherford. The producer was David Hitchcock. Supper's Ready is a song by the band Genesis. A recorded version appeared in their 1972 album, Foxtrot, and the band performed the song regularly on stage for several years following this. Live versions appear on the albums Live at the Rainbow, recorded in 1973, Seconds Out, recorded in 1977, the compilation Genesis Archive, 1967-75, and the box set Genesis Live, 1973-2007. A reworked version also appears on Steve Hackett's 2012 album, Genesis Revisited 2, and its accompanying live albums, Genesis Revisited Live at Hammersmith and Genesis Revisited Live at, Albert, at Royal Albert Hall. In an interview, Peter Gabriel summed up Supper's Ready as, quote, a personal journey which ends up walking through scenes from Revelation in the Bible. I'll leave it at that, end quote. It was also quoted in the book, I Know What I Like, by Armando Gallo, 
as saying that the song was influenced by an experience his wife had of sleeping in a purple room and the nightmares it gave her. AllMusic has described the song as the band's, quote, undisputed masterpiece. You gotta look out for those purple rooms. I actually sleep in a purple room and it seems to be okay. <laughs> or maybe maybe that explains some of my personality quirks. I'm not quite sure which. Could it be the lack of LSD in your purple room? It might very well be. Um, okay. <laughs> so just for completeness sake, Supper's Ready is a long song, officially credited at 22 minutes, 54 seconds on Foxtrot, and comprising of seven sections, being Lover's Leap, The Guaranteed Eternal Sanctuary Man, Ichnikon and Istakon, it's a con, and they're a band of merry men. How Dare I Be So Beautiful, Willow Farm, Apocalypse in 9-8, co-starring the delicious talents of Gabble Ratchet, and As Sure As Eggs Is Eggs, Aching Men's Feet. I know that we had... I had sort of pitched this idea as an episode to find the quote-unquote definitive version of this, even though I gave away my thoughts on the actual episode. I, I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts on that, because I'm currently of the mind that that may be a fool's errand. Well, they're all different in their own wonderful ways. For, for, for me, uh, this may seem somewhat obvious. It may also seem what somewhat unusually succinct, but when I listen to all of these different versions, the thing that comes to me the most is that whether it's Phil Collins, whether it's the dude from Todd Mobile, whether it's Nad, and I think they all do their own terrific versions of this, I am struck by the thought that those folks are singing Supper's Ready when I listened to the original and to the, the live version with Peter Gabriel, I feel like he is performing and he is storytelling. And the impact that, that he gives the song, it, it just brings it home for me on his version so much, so much better. And I, and I want to say in our post that, that um, I threw out to, the, to the, our Facebook followers, hey, you know, we're going to talk about this. What do you guys think? I want to say that it was Dan Sherman that said something to the effect of like all those other versions are, are clinically and technically sound, but nothing really delivers like the original version. And I, and I credit it to Peter Gabriel's delivery. I can't really disagree with you. There is something, something very unique about Peter Gabriel, especially on this song, and it's funny how, you know, as I've contemplated this, there are, overall, I, I agree with you, I think, and I, I, I stand by what I said in the Foxtrot episode, I think that the recorded version, for a lot of its sort of production foibles, is extraordinarily wonderful and moving, and I think a lot of that has to do with Peter. I think there are certain sections that I prefer with Phil 
performing them. Hmm. Um, but as as an overall piece, I think that the studio version is is better. But there are there are a couple of key passages, especially in the first part of the song, that I, I use as sort of a, a gauge versus Peter. And no one's really been able to deliver those lines in quite the same way as Peter does. And they all in my opinion, lack a little emotional punch because of that. And we talked about this in the episode. Um, yeah. I think it was it was well, it was one of you guys who who made mention of you know Peter's almost speaking singing delivery in terms of the the melody with the "Hey babe, your supper's ready." Yeah. Um, mm. You know that that's one of those things. I I haven't come across anyone. Who's been able to yeah. deliver that line in the same way? Yeah. Because he he like he, he communicates. He tells the story, and it's late, so um, I probably shouldn't do this. But he he does like, "Hey, baby," right? <laughs> and he he just like lets his voice crack, and nobody does that. Everybody tries to sing. Everybody sings it, which is probably the smart thing to do if you're a performer and you're a vocalist. But it's. It's not the same. Yeah. I'm with you on that, man. That to me, that's the that's the biggest thing. And even though they all do it so well, I mean, I I I absolutely love um Nat, am I getting his last name right? Nad Sylvan. Is his last name Sylvan? I believe mm -hmm. it is Sylvan. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I just absolutely love his performance of it. Yet at the very beginning, like he's he's just singing it, singing it. He's yeah. singing it delicately and very nicely. And, 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 you know, it's not, that's not really what that, yeah, it's, then there's just something about that personality that, that, um, and it, it's, it's part of sort of that whimsy too, that it's like, they're just the, the way he delivers those lines and, um, uh, Peter Gabriel delivers those lines. And, um, you know, I, I certainly don't mean disrespect to anyone else. I, 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 they're probably making the correct choice performance wise, but. It's just it does lose something, you know, to that to that affect. I think you're right, Joe. I'm with you. Ken, you've been pretty quiet so far. I'm going to admit that I went through a phase where I preferred the seconds out version for the pure simplicity of it and the beauty of it. I can understand that. Mm. I, I, and I, you know, I, 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 when we first started this, I know I don't mean to cut you off, even though I just did. I, I had a I had a small period of the same thing when I first bought Seconds Out. I'm like, this is phenomenal, and you know, I had, right. I had to spend some more time with the two of them before I kind of just made up my mind. It would have been fun to hear Phil sing the whole song in the Invisible Touch and We Can't Dance days when he had that that real screaming thing down. So because, you, because in Seconds Out, I feel like he's still he's still singing too much. Paul, oh, man. I, I did listen to 1986 for just that reason, and and in the cage was 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 very nice, and Apocalypse was wonderful. Yeah. So, I, and I had I had a very similar thought, and one of the things that I found was apparently they performed this in 1982 in its entirety, and Paul, you are absolutely right. While there were some very very strange sound production choices in the latter half of the song 
Phil's performance in the first half of the song in 1982 is, in my opinion markedly better wow. it, it is <laughs> the front half of that song may very well be the second best version that i've heard wow behind pete goodness okay so uh do you know do you remember which one you listened to was it the Car the toronto canada one or was it um the marquee club um I Do you <laughs> before you call it second best, know where it is. Nineteen eighty-two, well, Toronto. Toronto, okay. So cool. And and maybe this is a good a, a good place just to sort of you know put my cards on the table and, and tell you what I have considered, and and we can see where you know, where you guys had something different to that. So I obviously had the the Foxtrot recording, Seconds Out, this 1982 Toronto version. Can I also listen to Apocalypse and 9-8 in the medley from 1986? Yeah. Um, as well as, um, I guess I listened to at least two or three versions from Steve Hackett. That would be oh, Hammersmith. Yeah. Um Whatever the other one was. Um, Royal Albert Hall. Hammersmith, Royal Albert Hall, and the one in Collingswood that I told you about. And the latecomer for me, and Ken, you were way ahead on this one. And Paul, I don't know if you actually paid attention to the group text when, when Ken shared this. But the... the, the and, and we got to give credit. I think Dan Sherman also pointed this out on uh, on Facebook, which is how I went and got it. The 2015 version with Todd Mobile. Holy fucking shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I feel like I feel like I did. I feel like when um, Ken shared that, however long ago it was, it was a long time ago. I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I remember watching that and and um, yeah, kind of being like, wow, that was um. That was crazy. I, possibly the most orchestrated, deliberate, yeah, um, elaborate uh, yeah. rendition ever. It, it's it's really something. And I will, I in in all fairness, I I did start to watch a version performed by the Musical Box. Wow, sure. And musically, it was great, but. Uh, and, oh, and I guess I should also, Paul, you had pointed out the 1973 live version um, by Genesis with Peter Gabriel that we had discussed. Yeah. And as I mentioned in the in the group text, I was so distracted by Gabriel's visual performance on that. Mm -hmm. Watching the musical box recreate a distracting visual performance was too much for me and I couldn't oh. I couldn't do it. <laughs> was it. Was it the part where he was like almost doing the zipper during the um during Lover's Leap that, that Yes, uh, how the that fuck gotcha? does he dance completely at a different tempo than he's singing? How the fuck do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> I I I found that to be like incredibly like um intriguing to me. <laughs> Right, because it's that same sort of thing. Like you know, the way he's singing it, he's adding in some whimsy in, in just his vocal character, even though it's you know, and it's kind of a goofy line, I guess. I don't know. It's you know, the whole thing's a little out there. Um, I found it to be very intriguing and kind of made me uh, made it made it better. 
um, really? I didn't mind. I didn't mind it so much, but I have to. I'll have to check out the musical box. Um, I, I'm. I'm trying to <laughs> put links to all of the versions <laughs> that we're talking about, so that we Lengths. have like. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Speaking of lengths, uh, quick quiz here. Oh, uh, um, uh, between Apocalypse and Nine Eight Willow Farm. And, uh, well, between those two, which one is the longest? Ooh. Which one is the longest? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say this is a trick question. I'm going to say Willow Farm without looking at, at my wiki page, which is open to my left. Oh, Apocalypse is, is, is actually nearly a minute longer. Oh, is it really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Willow yeah, but, goes on longer than you would think. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a full song. It's, it, it, it's, it's four minutes and 30 seconds. And um, Ichnicon and Itzikon, that's that's nearly four minutes, just a couple seconds shy of four minutes. So 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 the, the real meat is uh, uh, Ichnicon, Willow Farm, and Apocalypse, and everything else is like the fancy parts. <laughs> the fancy parts. <laughs> but those those three could have stood on their own as, as, so, as tunes. Here, here's, here's my thinking, and you guys tell me how you want to do this. I think we should just kind of roll quickly through the, the different song parts and talk about their attributes, and then maybe kind of go through and and consider these different recordings that we saw and maybe point out highlights that, that we saw or experienced in, in doing so. That's kind of my thought. What do you guys think? I'm game. I don't know what I'll remember from uh, from most of this. Uh, I probably said everything that I have to offer. This <laughs> <but>. <laughs> so, so we can we can open up with with Lover's Leap, which is you know it's. I find this section to be you know, kind of creepy. Paul, you describe it as as whimsical. I've never really thought of it as as the Genesis whimsy, especially oh, well. Right next to Willow Farm, yeah, yeah. So it's that's that's. I'm glad you you said that because it gives me a chance to clarify. I, I don't really particularly think the song itself is like the typical Genesis whimsy. What I what I kind of get from Gabriel's delivery is like he's kind of throwing away these like you know these lines like you know hey babe your supper's waiting for you <laughs> hey baby <laughs> you, know I love you know like he just so he's just kind of adding to all of this seriousness there's just this this lightheartedness that's in so maybe maybe whimsy is pretty far but i agree with you i don't necessarily consider the 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 that part being uh whimsy certainly when I think about, I, I I didn't watch the Genesis tour with Ray Wilson, but I did watch Ray Wilson do Lovers Leap Acoustic, and certainly he was very serious when he sang it. It was no no whimsy was not in the in the concert hall. <laughs> whimsy is not in uh, in Ray Wilson's repertoire. <laughs> Uh, you know, oh, and, and 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 well, I guess we'll get back to that. I, I've, I, I have watched the the Genesis um, 1998 concert several times, especially for this particular section, and it's kind of weird because at the end of that, he comes off vocally very Roger Watersy, which is just kind of weird to me. Wow, but. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. But but this is, you know, I based on the stories that I've read, this is the part that seems to be, you know, based on whatever experiences, real, imagined, drug-induced or otherwise, that um, that they they talk about or Peter talks about with regards to, you know, the genesis, uh, yeah, the the impetus for this song. So you know, I, I I don't know it. It it really sort of it's a it's a good entryway into this long thing. It doesn't necessarily give you any any indication of where you're going to go on this journey, but it it does sort of you know ease you into it. Yeah, I. I... <laughs> I mean, I want to say it's my favorite part of the whole track, but I can't say that because um, I, I love so much of everything else that goes on after it. That's a great question. I, we're going to have to ask ourselves or ask each other what our favorite section is going to be when we get through this. That's a great, great question, well, Paul. One thing that I do really like about <laughs> is that when he goes... um. You know, he goes, it's been a long, long time. And there, do, 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 do. And then right when the guitar switches, he goes, hasn't, hasn't it? <laughs> it's so fucking cool. And it, it literally launches you into the entire song. Yes. And everyone in the live version, nobody does it on time. They always do it before. Like, it's like a throwaway. Yeah. And it kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's so much momentum. Gotcha there. Yeah. Yeah, good one. Good one, Zotter. Does anyone have a favorite performer outside of Peter Gabriel? Like, if we had to pick someone, Phil, Nad, Ray, the dude from Toddmobile, who I have no idea what his name is. For me, the dude from Toddmobile is a clear number two on the first half of this song. Wow. Okay. I swear, months ago, when I first shared that link... You weren't happy with his I delivery never watched on that. it. I don't think. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I really All don't right. think I did. I think I would have. Okay. I, I... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that you've come around on that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, there's some part in that where he's like over the top running around on stage and he's flipping his hair around and he's singing like a motherfucker. <laughs> and then like. The camera shoots over to the side, and you see him like lean over, and it looks like he's looking at his iPad. Yeah, to look. For yeah, the next he, line. he definitely is. Absolutely. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Steve Hackett is literally sitting ten feet away from you, <laughs> and you couldn't fucking memorize the lyrics. What the fuck? <laughs> well, I mean, he's Icelandic for crying out loud. Give him some slack. <laughs> it's not a native language. <laughs> <laughs> All those people in the audience paying damn good money to see him. So the, and, and, he, and 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 come on. There, there's you know you brought up Steve Hackett with regards to that. I've I I can't say that I'm I'm totally versed in Steve Hackett live performances, but he seemed to genuinely enjoy that performance. How could you fucking not? I mean, he had all that <laughs> shit going on around him. <laughs> you must have just been like, this is fucking great. Uh, it must have been. You know, and, and that, that singer, whose name I obviously can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> I, I, Let's I, go I, for it. Uh, poor Valdor, Bajarni, Poor Valdson. Of course. So I'm, I'm looking, I looked at their wiki page, and I'm looking at all the names of the people who are in the band, who've been in the band, all the names of their songs. And I'm thinking, how the how do they get Toddmobile? We can't be saying that right. There's got to be like we must be 
that must not be what it says. It, it, I agree. Because clearly, the Icelandic language is something different. But anyway, for me, yeah. I, I, I think <laughs> I think he is. It's it's funny, and I guess we'll talk about this now. He's there. There's something about this this song as a whole that after Ichnikon, after the battle of of Ichnikon and and Itzikon, there is there's some sort of line of demarcation and and the if someone is good vocally on the first half in in my experience they're going to not be as good on the second half and vice versa hmm. it's wow. the strangest thing so when our Icelandic friend from Toddmobile is knocking it out of the park on the front half of this song, and I'm going, oh, I can't wait for Apocalypse. This is going to be great. And, and he's kind of, you know, theatrical and bombastic, so you'd think this would be right in his wheelhouse. And for me, that Apocalypse vocally just, it doesn't deliver. Hmm. And, and I don't know how. Now I'm trying to flip through the different versions, and uh, so so what would seconds out be? For me, I think in in that version, Phil is is I'm not going to say he's struggling, but his vocal performance is is far below that of Peter's in the first half of the song, and I think he fucking nails it in Apocalypse, and um. He goes for it, man. And, he does. He commits. And as sure as eggs is eggs, I think. Mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Phil's New Jerusalem section is. I think it blows Peters out of the water. Honestly, mm. cool, uh, cool. Um, but musically, I think, and, and Ken, you had alluded to this. I think musically, the seconds out version is, in some ways, staid and boring. Um, it's it's very you know uh, apocalypse especially is just it's lacking something and i don't exactly know what that is musically ah but i like the purity of of the seconds out um and and that and 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 and, and it depends i mean headphones or in a a vehicle or whatnot but but i've had these moments where i could hear each individual instrument and it's a whole different experience without backing vocals yeah that was one of the nice things I think about the Toddmobile is you you had you know the full chorus which was very cool, yeah. And and there was that one woman who was who was singing straight up backing vocals who was great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And and so that's another interesting thing because in the Hammersmith Steve Hackett version, the drummer is singing the falsetto backup part for Nad in the Lover's mm. Leap section. Yes. Which I don't know that I've heard any other performance where they do that falsetto section. Because it, it sounds like on the studio recording, it sounds like that's Pete doing that and not Phil. Oh. Yeah, I agree. Oh. Yeah, but by the time they get to the Rainbow Theater, that's Phil's nailing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, our listeners can tell us if they know differently. But when I listen to that studio recording, it sounds like a double Pete track to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I, this, I mean, I feel like we're just jumping all over. So we are. I, what I, when I think of the Steve Hackett Genesis Revisited versions that I've watched, 
I feel like he's revisiting the seconds out version of the song. Really? Um, just kind of how it's, it's put together. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I just feel like it's just so technically strong and um, calm. I don't know how else to say it. It just feels like it's there. There's um, it's almost relaxed in, in the way that all of the parts fit together. So, so, so nicely. Thank you, Paul, for articulating that. That is the beauty of seconds out mm. the, the, the calm there. I don't want calm. I want bombast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, you're, you're, you're not getting away from your line of demarcation theory without putting your um, theory into uh, Nad Sylvan. Okay. So, so in his various performances, does he excel in the beginning or the end? I, oh, and, and I believe I've said this before. I think Nad, I, I think Nat does a really, really good job. I think he he technically performs everything very well. I think he is his delivery is better suited to the front part of the song than the back. Mm. But I, okay. you know, Nat Nat is not my my favorite for this, but I do appreciate what he does. Um, and, and the other sort of litmus test that I have with all of with this particular song is the the first part of Willow Farm. How people interpret that is fascinating to me. It just it's but we haven't gotten there yet. So let's hold on to that. So let's hmm. talk let's talk about the guaranteed eternal sanctuary man because I think this is a section that it's easy to or sort of overlook. Hmm. But this is where we come across the benevolent farmer and <laughs> as the wikis tell us the the head of a highly disciplined scientific religion <laughs> who likes to call himself the guaranteed eternal sanctuary man. You know, I, I had made the comment in the, in the lamb episode that supper's ready is really the roadmap for that entire album. And, you know, Peter loves to go on uh, seemingly based on, you know, the lamb the album as well as as this track peter seems to really enjoy going on these internal trips and and meeting all these strange and wonderful characters you know inside his own head and you know this is this is a, a an example of that and i think you know this like i said this section i i was always want to overlook it but i find I find a lot to really enjoy here now, the more time I've spent with this track. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't have lyrics. Joe, we had dubbed cassettes yeah, from vinyl. We did. And we didn't have lyrics. And, and I didn't even know that there were little, did I know that there were little sub names to all these little pieces? Probably not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, that, I mean, can't you see he's fooled you all um i just i yeah these characters were a bit too complex for me at the time but but think about that vocal melody though when in can't you see he fooled you all with the guitar underneath it oh god it's mm. beautiful yeah yeah oh, it's phenomenal yeah. yeah yeah so for this is one section that in the original recording the transition seems very clumsy to me the um, where they get from, uh, you know, into I know a farmer. 
Yes. Yeah, I I, and, I hear I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and then when it gets to the part where uh, you know, with the water clear, he cares for all of his harvest. Oh. It just sounds it just sounds clumsy. Um and, and it doesn't come together again until he gets to I know a fireman. And and I find that in the live versions, that's all worked out. Yeah. And it's much, much better. Every it's single close. one I've ever I've ever seen. Um Good call. That, that's the one thing that the uh that the all the live versions have going for them, I think. I I I th it's I think it's a great point, Joe, that you could easily overlook this. I love it. You're you're uh, I'm totally with you with the vocal line when the guitar and the keyboards are are kicking in. It's tremendous. It's so great. This could be my favorite part of the song if I didn't like all the other parts so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, and I've got I've got to take off on one of my crazy tangents here, because there there's the part in here. I know a farmer who looks after the farm, and then I know a fireman who looks after the fire. Which, you know, it's it's almost logically counterintuitive, right? Right. Because firemen, in in our experience, are supposed to put out fires, not look after them. Mm -hmm. Um. So I that was always sort of entertaining to me. But in 2018, when Twin Peaks returned for an 18-episode um, stint on Showtime, of which I, I just started redoing uh, that and listening to a fantastic um, podcast called Diane. Um, so if, if you folks are listening, absolutely love what you do. These folks are they're, they're an English um group um there's a there's a woman with a couple of brothers and a, and a friend of theirs and as esoteric as we get with talking about music these guys go way way deeper on themes and whatnot in twin peaks it is it's it's just such a a phenomenal you know trip <laughs> into just arcane knowledge that I can't even begin to describe it. it it's truly a, a joy. And, um, but anyway, so what happened was there was, there was a character in the original show who we, we originally knew as the giant, but in this, in this third season on Showtime, he is reintroduced to us as the fireman. And, mm -hmm. And one of the interpretations that the, the folks on the Diane podcast um, make about that is a fireman in the in, in the vein of, you know, the the Pacific Northwest, where you have people stationed in fire towers whose job it is to look out for fires, mm. you know, and and that that actually plays into the role of this character. Uh, performs in the story, and so it. I'm not in any way suggesting that the the change in name of that character is in any way, shape, or form related to Supper's Ready, but it just seems to be. It, it I find it to be an interesting coincidence that at the time we are focused in on this particular song, which has this seemingly incongruous reference, that I'm I'm going through the uh revisiting this twin peaks episode and and the same sort of theme comes up it just it's interesting mm. so wanted to put that out there well um i found it uh in terms of a steam engine so the fireman term 
would apply to the stoker or, oh, okay. or water tender, the person whose occupation is to tend to the fire. Awesome. For the running of a boiler. Very cool. So see, now we now we know something. There it is. This is the section, correct me if I'm wrong, where Peter sings hand in hand, gland in gland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so absolutely beautiful vocal melody. Absolutely. I, I understand intellectually what Peter is trying to say and, and the, the, the sort of deep connection that he's trying to convey to us about these two people, but it just makes me uncomfortable when he talks about body parts. It just hmm. makes me squirm a little bit. Wow. Duly okay. noted. <laughs> you, you were able to reproduce, so you're not all broken. Well, no, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, and, and, and I, I sing it, and I love the moment musically, but I'm just like, God, Peter, why would you do this? And, of course, this comes back in, um, in, in The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway in spades when he's talking about erogenous zones. So, yeah. you know. I like to, you know, maybe I, I called it whimsy before. Maybe it's a bit of cynicism that, that I like in that. And I kind of get that in the same way with that, that particular line. When you referred to the distracting movements, and, and now you're referring to his um, uh, seductive lyr- uh, lyricism, um, uh, he was a bit of an Elvis, right? He, he was always moving his pelvis and doing that thing and 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 i suppose those gyrations could become a bit uncomfortable prolonged for the length of entire set it it has it has been said that he is the david lee roth of prog rock (laughs) yes that has been said yeah yeah (laughs) oh no there's our next teaser And, you know, continuing on, uh, we have Iknaton and Itzikon and their band of merry men. So this is our, this is our, I guess you can't have a, a 20 minute prog piece without some sort of battle scene, right? <laughs> you, you just you have to have it. And, and the, honestly, the reason why I was reminded to go back to the other vocal thing is here again, you've got... A, I, I don't know if 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 Peter is just fearless vocal in terms of, of lyrics or what, but I, I don't recall another prog uh, grand piece where we're, we're described climbing up mountains of flesh after a battle is done. So, you know, I mean... It's, oh, it's, I love that line. It's very graphic, and you're just like, ah, all right. Killing foe for peace. Bang, 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 bang. And they're giving me a wonderful potion because I cannot contain my emotion. Those those lyrics hit me immediately. Yeah, those are good. This is this is a section that I think Nad really excels at. I think this is like right in, in his area. I I did think it was a frail capsule. And I was Taken aback the first time I heard it pronounced prayer capsule. Yeah. And, and I always wonder what to do about that. But yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, and, and Peter himself in later versions articulates prayer um, uh, 
I love I love the way that um, Phil pronounces things. I think he pronounces the lyrics that he likes the most, the best, and he somewhat mumbles other things that he doesn't, <laughs> you know, necessarily relate with so much. Um, I'm sure he wishes that Pete had written tonight in more songs, but sure. yeah, yeah, there are no tonight's here. <laughs> oh, but I mean, you know, here. He, I think this is this this sort of battle scene is it, it's very much in the 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 classic prog tradition. I don't know why they were all writing battle scenes at this point. Um, you know, you have to wonder if maybe maybe this inspired John to write Gates of Delirium. Who knows? Hmm. I, the order for rejoicing and dancing has come from our Lord. I always heard, but it's our warlord. Um, just, just, just that subtle detail made a huge mm. difference to me because I, because I memorized it one way for a decade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you, so you've got this sort of, you know, this dichotomy, these different parts to, to all of this as, as I guess you do in, in battle anyway. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's glory to be had in battle and there's also, you know, great tragedy at the same time. So I, I think this is a very ambitious section of the song, um, but I, I think it's one that's ultimately very successful. You know, mm -hmm. and, and I, again, I think it's so easy to focus in on Lover's Leap, Willow Farm, and Apocalypse um, that, you know, this this and how dare I be so beautiful, I, I think they're, they're very important parts in, in this song. Oh, yes, indeed. You got to say that we're, we're coming up now on the transition and the transition yep. uh, from Ignaton. Right. And it's such a beautiful transition. Um, uh, and, you know, we constantly joke about the whole flower thing, but it's just, it just feels so good. And in the, uh, in the uh, Hackett shows, the whole audience is, is saying the line, a flower. Yeah. And that feeling when you hear the crowd say that, it's beautiful. How can you not? I've been walking around for two weeks just randomly ejaculating <laughs> a flower. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fun thing about it is, given all the different versions I've listened to, I've got, I can ape different people doing it. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more subtle, sometimes it's more over the top, and sometimes I just go crazy with it. People at work think I've totally lost my mind. My kids yep. definitely think I have. But <laughs> you know, it just it gets in there and, and you can't let it go. I, I, I almost wish that Nad didn't say a flower because in the Genesis Revisited, the audience is so perfect there. Yeah. And <sighs> I, I think yeah, and, and this is one of those things where you know, Pete's performance from 1973, yeah, when he stands up with that flower hat on to give that line, you're just like, mm. oh, please. It's, <laughs> I love it. it it's, it's so ridiculous, and it's just, it's too much. It's just too much. Okay. I, well, I mean, it just, it distracts from such a perfect line. Because you're, in, instead of focusing on, on that transition... You're, you're looking at Pete going, he's a fucking flower. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And he, yeah, he got it from a children's show, and, and, and that's what it looks like. Yeah, and 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 I want to say in that 1973 video, he doesn't get the flower on quite straight in time to deliver the line, so it's a little cockeyed as yeah, he does true. it. That's true. <laughs> well, we're going to have to ask Friends of the Flavor if it works out how these live shows actually played out. Mm. Yep, we definitely need to to look into that. And um, so now we get our, our bit of, of connective tissue, I think, in, in How Dare I Be So Beautiful, mm. um, which is where we get the, uh, the flower bit, um, which is, is just spectacular. And then, and then we, we go into Willow Farm, which... So, well, so real, yeah. real quick, I, I'm sorry. Before we go into Willow, Willow Farm. Uh, yeah, so there's just a couple things that... that um, and, and I may be piecing some of this together right now because I'm talking about whimsy. I'm talking about cynicism. But one of the things that I noticed, and I noticed it, I, I, I never noticed this at all until I saw the, the set in 1973 where he he uh, sings, you know, they, he's, you've climbed up the mountain of human flesh to a plateau of green glass, grass. A young figure sits by the pool. He's been stamped human bacon by some butchery tool. And then he says, he sings, he is you. And in this, and I never really felt that before until I saw that performance, because when he gets to that point, he, he like lifts up almost out of character, breaking the fourth wall and into the audience. And he's pointing at everyone going, he is you. And, and uh, it just like kind of struck me that, yeah, because I never really knew, I never really quite got that whole thing I had read that, you know, this part was about all of the humans melting into, diff, you know, different things and and that led into Willow Farm. But when, you know, I thought about, you know, the battle and and then I thought about, okay, the battle's over and you're climbing through all of the carnage of the battle. And then you get to this nice little area that's full of life and there's a young figure and and we're calling him human bacon, which is, you could interpret that to be just like fat pig, right? Just a fat sloppy pig. Who's just lop lopping up everything around them. And, I and, 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 and I, and I'm take and I'm thinking about it. Like, is, is he saying like all this shit goes on in the world and, and it goes on in the world because there are, are, um, fat and happy people who just sit back and take in entertainment of it all. And it's you, right? And I don't know if that was any of the intention or if that's, but when, when that, when I saw that, it just like kind of hit me and I started thinking about it and I was just like, wow, I wonder if he's like being that cynical. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I you Am know, I reading too much into it? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I see. I, I don't know. Because the other the other piece of it too is like it, like if you think about when he says it's time to activate my prayer capsule, I it it sort of you know it makes the metaphor that p prayer is a, is its own type of drug. It, prayer is its own type of uh, you know control control device, sure. right? And and you know there's I think there's a bit of cynicism in that as well. And I, I, I think there's a lot of cynicism. The way I interpreted that was, you know, he saw the figure and he thought it was a figure, but the, the read me the line again. 
A young figure sits by a pool. He's been stamped human bacon by some butchery tool. Yeah, see, he, he it, is you. It, it's it's the butchery tool. See, I think he gets to the top and he sees this person that he thinks has escaped the battle, but in fact, he's been ground up just as bad as everyone else. Everybody else, and and, and so the the he is you part is, I sort of interpreted that as a warning, like this can happen to all every one of you guys. So watch it. It foreshadows the end of Lamb, I suppose. I don't know. The he is you and the he is rail and he is us. Uh, There you go. And then it says Social Security took care of this lad. So I guess it makes sense. See, this is why I really just shouldn't pay attention to lyrics and just enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I normally do because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. No, but I think no, I think probably, I, yeah, yeah. I, I think the way that Gabriel writes his lyrics is and I, we've talked about this, he he's very good with creating enough of the picture that you know what's going on, but there's enough empty space that you can explore around and, and, and interpret for yourself. So, you know, I, I, I think he would encourage this sort of thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly. The he is you didn't reach me as a teenager. It took me a while to process that. And I I don't know that I wanted to process it. Mm. I was enamored with the rest of the lyrics and didn't like breaking that fourth wall. Mm. So I I mentioned in the Foxtrot episode, this this first part of Willow Farm is the part that Grace absolutely loves. Um, You know, it's just... (laughs) It's it's calliope music. It's it's whimsy. It's it's fun. It's you know psychedelic Beatles. It's it's all that kind of good stuff rolled into one. I don't know who had the genius idea to sort of sew the two halves of this song together with Willow Farm, but I think it's genius. I really really do, especially given sort of the 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 the, the strange internal trip that he's taking us on you you can almost buy into this fanciful um int- you know uh part of the song here right because i mean we've all had the weird dreams or whatever where you know one thing bleeds into another with no rhyme or reason and and you know given the fact that you just went through a battle and you climbed up a, a mountain of flesh and you're heading towards a literally titled apocalypse it's not so bad to have a little fun in the middle of that mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know I, i'm on board but i do think and and this section this is the other section where peter's delivery is completely unmatched mm. because everyone else who who performs this that i have seen they take it too far. Really? Mm. And and there's something about Peter's delivery where you you get the whimsy, but it's not entirely ridiculous, if you follow me. And, okay. And, and it, it's, I think it's a masterful job, and it's probably because Peter wrote this, this section, um, that he understands exactly what what sort of mood or, or message he was going for that I think the other people who interpret it just, they get caught up in the whimsy and they, they, they just take it too far, in my opinion. So even Phil is taking it too far. 
Oh, God, yes. Phil uh, definitely takes it too far. Okay, because we otherwise like his character voices. Often. Often, yes. Yeah. I do not enjoy live versions of Willow Farm nearly as much as the rest. For me, the the first part of this song up through here, I think this is what this is what defines the Foxtrot version. This is what defines the, the studio version. Um, I, I think, I think musically there are some parts that I wish, you know, could have been produced better, but it was 1972. We've had this conversation, but I think Peter's understanding of and delivery of, of, the, of this song up until this point is, is really what, what drives making that, version the definitive one for me um and and like i said the fact that there I, I can point to other people who do other sections in the first part of the song well um but i don't think in, in again in, in this is my opinion just my opinion i don't really care for any anyone else's interpretation of willow farm okay that's that that's fair i i seem to like them all I don't think any of them quite rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and just the fact that Phil uh, takes me to this place, uh, I respect him. Nad, I think he, he's, he, he's Scottish, I believe. He's got a little cynicism in there and a little Scottish twang. And I would say that the only boring one, perhaps, is Mr. Tidmobile. But, <laughs> but uh, see, I, I but, think I think Nad's interpretation is the most over the top. Oh, okay, all right, all right, fair enough. Mizotter, I, I I don't know. I think it's I don't I've, I don't think I've ever considered them over the top. I think I've always just considered them as you know these poor guys are trying to uh, it, it it would be paramount to someone trying to copy Peter Gabriel doing the Battle of Epping Forest with all his voices and changes of accent and changes <laughs> and everything. Could you imagine? You know, he just uh. has this incredible... Uh, like, I, I think the thing that blew me away most about his performance in that 1973 video was... You know, I made the comment once before about, like, he was kind of a screamer that learned to sing later. But, man, the, the control that he has over his voice is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... I, I think it really pays off in a song like this and the way he performs something like this. And I, I get what you're saying, Joe. I, I, to me, I think it's, I, I just see it as they're just trying to do their, their best imitation. Um, I, I think, I don't know that I have a, a necessarily a problem with any of them other than the fact that I believe that Peter Gabriel's is just superior in, in this section. Well, and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm coming across like an asshole, but there may be another part to this too, because at least you know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, but, but, and, and this is a part that, that I clearly don't necessarily understand, but all of, all of the other versions are live performances. So you've got someone performing to a hall of people. And mm -hmm. I think this naturally lends itself to a bit of theatrics. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. You know, try, yeah. trying to convey that. I don't know. It could very well be one of those things where if you're sitting in the hall watching it, you're absolutely floored 
But then you watch the video of it later and you're like, yeah, it's kind of over the top. Yeah. I don't know. Mm, okay. hard, to, hard to say. Kind of like when you, when you look at um, Elvis's jumpsuits. I'm sure in 1970, whatever, if you were, you know, a, a screaming middle-aged woman and, and Elvis came out in his white jumpsuit with all the stuff and you're just like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. But you look at pictures and you're like, who would wear that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, lyrical equipment. And, uh, rock stars, man. Jumpsuit. And, 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 wow, as, we're going to get hate mail. On yeah, ready that's, that's, I, I'll probably yeah. cut that out because I don't know that I'm really, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really married to that uh, that metaphor. But but the interesting thing about Willow Farm is you think you always like to think that Willow Farm is just that first part, but Willow Farm goes on for much longer than you actually mm, gorgeous. think. Gorgeous. Yeah. And, right, and, and right. yeah, the, the back half of Willow Farm is very beautiful. Mm. Um, I, I, before we get out of the front, I want to say um, we've got everything. We're growing everything. We've got some in, we've got some out. Now I always thought Peter said, we've got some men, we've got some mud. Oh. Uh, and I was picturing Men building an Adobe hut. I, I just, just have to get that image out of my head because it went through my entire teenage era. Um, but but in, when I heard seconds out, I was afraid when Phil said, we've got some in, we've got some out. Uh, taken aback. That's but, different. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's not an Adobe hut. That is not an Adobe hut. <laughs> One of my favorite things about that, we've got everything <laughs> I think it's I think it's the guitar where it's just going. We've got like just oh, that yeah. little line. It's I love it. I love it. And, and it's, it, and it's okay. all like transistor like, you know, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the mix. It sounds like it's. Uh, so I, I yeah. love I love the wikis here because it talks about after the vocal section in Willow Farm ends, there is a reflective interlude not definitively belonging to either Willow Farm or the following Apocalypse and 9-8. This is true. It it starts with bass pedal, electric guitar, organ, and mellotron drones, then proceeds with soft guitar and flute. That that guitar and flute section, oh. That's pretty cool. That is yummy. I like it. That may be one of the most accurate things the wikis have ever said. So then we get into Apocalypse in in 9-8. So obviously this is, you know, the, the Magog outfit is the, the famous picture from the Genesis Live cover. Um, that would have been, you know, definitely something to see. So, we'll, you know, maybe we talk to Friends of the Palaver and, and get some insight into that. Um, you know, it, Apocalypse in 9-8, it, I... I You've got to, I think, back to Tom Brislin. Oh, you're a prog fan? You want something in Odd Time Signature? Check. We got it. Checkbox. So everyone (laughs) everyone wants to focus. I mean, because they put... They put the time signature in the freaking title, right? So everyone knows this is 9-8. And listen, I have to get this off my my chest. I don't think it actually begins in 9-8. I think it's actually (laughs) 9-4. The quarter note is the beat note. Yeah. When you count it, you're not counting... In eighths, you're counting quarter notes, and you count to nine, and then it starts over again. Well, you can take that up with Phil. Uh, it I, doesn't I really start nine eight until the vo- the vocals start. And I have to tell you, I was kind of fantasizing that when we opened up the Skype, that Ken, you would be sitting there with your guitar in hand, 
playing Apocalypse <laughs> I can actually hear how it really goes because I can never figure out when the fucking thing starts, when the the beats are starting, and when they're not. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, who in um, th- who's the band in Seconds Out? Is it? Um, uh, I mean, well, Rutherford. It's it's, it's and, yeah, it's Hackett and uh, Chester Thompson. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I just, I just, I just love Rutherford in that period. I think he's that. That is, I mean, let let let's go there. What is the best rhythmic apocalypse if you take out the vocals? And and I'm leaning towards seconds out because Rutherford is killing it and he's hot in the mix. Is there is there any? I mean, it's it, it it takes a very specific articulation. Is there any articulation that resonates with you more than the others? You know, honestly, I don't. I don't. For really- me, for me, I can't really say that one resonates with me or the other. But I think it may be mostly because I'm too busy trying to figure out where one is. <laughs> it's not that you're counting to nine; you're just looking for one. <laughs> yes, that's. I can't even try to count to nine because I can't figure out when the fuck to start. I mean, I, it, I, it, 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 they're very slow threes. It's a very weird kind of thing. Like it's definitely impossible to dance to. It's like nom, 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 nom. And th- I mean, the beauty of it is when uh, Tony Banks just starts nailing it yeah. and doing his thing in there, and that that really it, brings it all together. It doesn't even feel like it's an odd time signature when he's playing his his uh, solo parts. And, and and another thing I love about Seconds Out is the way he's kind of casual about his solo because when people comp that, you know, uh, Top Mobile or the cats that uh, Hackett tours with, you know, they're pretty regimented in how they bang out those notes. But there's like an interesting casual phrasing that I got from Tony in the, in the, and the particularly the 1986 stuff, but also in the in the seconds out where it's like it's his line and he's expressive with it, and it's kind of beautiful to hear. Like, you know what I mean? Well, and, and I I find I find Tony Banks to be so fascinating because he he comes across as so casual all the time, but the guy's playing his face off too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and until you look at him, and he gives you no reason to look at him. But when you do, you're like, oh shit, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm with Paul. I don't know that there's there's one that that I think is is you know musically better than the rest. If I if you if you force me to pick, I think I would probably go with Hackett at Royal Albert Hall. Um, but I can tell you which one of all the ones I listened to that I think is the least good. Oh. And that would be the 1986 version. Uh, I mean, it's it's it, it feels weird coming off of in the cage and all that. And, well, and and the way they the way they approach that, it, it's it's too staccato, and it the reason why I specifically sought that one out was I wanted to hear that with whatever rig that they were playing with in 1986. You know, this this was the Invisible Touch tour, and and I mean their their sound was paper thin. You know, Daryl and 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 Mike were both on on Steinberger's. I don't know what they played during this section. I didn't see the video. I only heard the uh, the, mm-hmm. the sound. So I was I was very curious and just 
the way they did that, it just didn't work for me. <laughs> I just got an image in my head of that of that picture, Ken, that you posted of the guy playing the headless Steinberger and the guy <laughs> with the keytar <laughs> the key and the headset. And Joe, your comment, your comment had me fucking rolling on the floor, dude. That was so funny. <sighs> oh man. Yeah, for the uninitiated at the Palaver, we're on a quest to find all the headless guitars and all the keytars we possibly can <laughs> for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but so the, the point I was going to make is, uh, it, I, in my opinion, it seems so easy to fixate on Apocalypse and Nine Eight, and for me, like I said, I love Phil's vocal delivery from from this point on out. I think it is just phenomenal. I love, I, I think Phil's delivery of the, the second half of this song blows Pete um, out of the water. Mm -hmm. I think he's just, he's physically, technically able to do this better, you know, and, and whatever. And, and I think he brings that emotion. And you know, Paul, I, you talked about this, you know, or maybe it was Ken, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. There are certain things that Phil sings well and certain things where he just kind of like oh, whatever he seems invested in these sections of the song and, mm. and i think that's the difference in the first parts of the song he, he he doesn't seem to be particularly married to whatever melody exists and he kind of floats in and off of it and 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 whatever and he, he plays around with it a lot and here he just goes after it and kicks you in the ass and i love it mm. And I still didn't make my point. It's so easy for people to get fixated on Apocalypse and 9-8. And I think... The magic is after her. That's yeah. It, it, they it, seal the it, deal. It's, it's, yep. not, it's not the, the apex of this song. Even though everyone... That's, it's, it's the part everyone remembers. Oh, because it's in 9-8. Right. 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 <laughs> well, it must have been fun to play because they... They played it in their medley for a while, right? Yeah. For, yeah. yeah, that, for like, yeah. that was in 86. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So, like, I guess that's the part that was really, like, our introduction to it. But, yeah, I agree with you. It's not it's not the shining moment for me by any, any stretch. The medley is famous, but, you know, to be absolutely clear, Joe just trashed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I did, but okay, we'll go with that. Well, uh, they're too staccato. We know that much. Yeah, yeah, it 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 really was. Um, uh, interesting medley, though. I mean, in the cage, in that quiet earth, and then supper's ready. I mean, that's <laughs> that's an interesting combo. They they actually do as sure as eggs is eggs, right? I mean, they don't just end somehow. Apocalypse in nine eight. Yes, right? they I, do I, end I, it gracefully. That's yes, correct. Because you have to. Yeah. Okay. It, it it's inevitable. It's. Yeah, it's 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 half as long, less than half as long as Apocalypse, but it's where the beauty is. Unless you're hack it, and then and then then you're then you're dragging this out to like four minutes for a gorgeous guitar solo. That's right. And so, yeah. as, as sure as eggs is eggs. Now, we we have to reiterate three things in popular music that make Joe all warm and fuzzy: oboes, muted trumpets. And orchestra chimes. <laughs> How the hell did muted trumpets ever get in there? By the way, <laughs> I honestly, I, it was probably before that. But what really cemented it was George Michael's older. Wow, 
Huh. Um, not, it's not often you hear a deep cut by uh, pop pop stars like George <laughs> Michael uttered here on Progressive Palette. <laughs> hey, I will stand by older. I think that is a just phenomenal album. But, um, yeah, so not only do we get at this point um, the orchestra chimes, and, and the first time you get them, it's just those those three notes, and it's so beautiful, but they come back in later. But those three notes lead right into a reprise of the linchpin line from Lover's Leap. And, mm-hmm. oh, I'm just mm-hmm. a big puddle of goo at that point. God, right, I love right, it. Right, right, <laughs> oh. and, and And we're not even done. That's the cool thing. And I, I think I said this on the text or oh, some, I said it sometime, you know, even, even I tricked myself into thinking that that's like the end of the song, but it, it goes on past then. And it's just yeah. spectacular as you get mm-hmm. into the new Jerusalem section. Yep. 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 Um, in our Foxtrot episode, I, spent my last few uh, comments talking about uh, Pythagoras with the looking glass reflects the full moon in blood. He's writing the lyrics of a brand new tune and just the gorgeous feeling that comes over me on that line. Yeah. 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 And then, and then, and then we get, um, how's that snare drum for you, Joe? <laughs> that, that kinda, yeah. You like yeah. the rolls and everything. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so so it's not quite the same as a muted trumpet, but the snare drum roll is has got to be somewhere on your list, uh, and then uh, and it's hey babe with your guardian eyes so blue, hey my baby, don't you know our love is true? Um, a- and, a- absolutely warm and fuzzy, and and where the melody goes after that is even better. As good yep. as that is, it gets yep. even better. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And now I'm back again, and babe, it's going to work out fine. And that's so simple and so trite, and and Peach just really pulls it off there. <laughs> well, and, and and you know maybe that's the maybe that's what's so striking about it, right? Because you know Pete can be wonderfully obtuse, and then he just, but at the same time he can just bring it in and just lay it out on the table, mm-hmm. perfectly clear. Mm-hmm deliver the message and you know i think correct me if i'm wrong but as he's singing that that's when hackett you know comes in out from underneath and starts soaring away right yeah 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 absolutely gorgeous and we've got our flower metaphor so uh um uh like the river joins the ocean as the germ in a seed grows, we have finally been freed to get back home. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? And again, uh, it, I, I think he used, I don't know if he did it consciously, but he used this same sort of structure for the lamb, right? Because it's the same thing. You start out in one place, you go on this crazy journey with all these people, but at the end of it all, you have your exit back to wherever you need to go. Now, granted, in the lamb, it winds up on a game show and they're they're giving out, you know, prizes. But, right, right, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, 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 yes. 
but but yeah it, yeah but but the point is you know they they seem they as a as a band you know musically they can convey this and, and pete as a lyricist you know they're they're able to deliver you out of you know out of you know the ride you've been on and it, it's just i think it's masterfully done um mm -hmm. so you know there there are there are prog pieces i'm sure um you know that are lauded simply because of of the fact that they're you know a certain length or you know they're done by a certain group and and you know i, I don't want to you know get into it or or raise any hackles um but i think this song is just a shining example of what progressive rock in the early 1970s was could be and should have been mm -hmm. i the more time i spend with this track in all of its forms the more i absolutely love it everything about it even even the parts that you know i i may have you know come across like i i don't enjoy it or something i do there are some versions i like better than others and and some things that you know maybe i wish other people would do differently but even in the context of that it's it's phenomenal top to bottom it's such a masterful piece all right so let's have it with our um our versions who 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 is taking us home safely and beautifully? I mean, clearly, you thought Phil uh, uh, hit the, the hit Apocalypse Nine Eight uh, with, with all that audacity and skill. But uh, it, it, isn't it Pete bringing us home here? Mm, oh, see, mm. I I don't think so. I think I think Phil brings us home. Oh, okay. I, I, I really I really do think Phil's with the with the glaring exception of the nineteen eighty two version, um because in again, I think Phil for whatever reason is is technically aligned with the last half of the song and he's invested in it and i think his delivery is is phenomenal um i i think in some ways it's it's perhaps more controlled than pete does even though pete may have more control on the front side but unfortunately in the 1982 version someone decided that it would be really really cool to have a shit ton of delay on the vocals here and it just it, uh, it 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 distracts uh, yeah, 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 yeah. tremendously. So whereas by 1982, Phil had really had really brought up his game on the first half of the song to where it might be approaching Peter. I'm not going to say it's as good, but it's it's certainly much better than it it was on seconds out. The back half of the song where Phil is is really strong is just too distracting. I can't even deal with wow. it. which is wow. it's a shame. Well, it's funny. I just have to comment this is because it's hysterical that because um, from Facebook, we talked about which version should we look at and people are chiming in. But Bod Bodkin Van Horn writes, <laughs> he states, ones with Phil singing should probably be excluded. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I actually and saw then, that. <laughs> 
And then Jim Rhodes replies to him and says, Bodkin Van Horn. Probably? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'll tell you what, for me, you know, the, like I, I like, I, I agree with your comments, Joe, about being such a great example of progressive rockets. I think it's classic examples of how, you know, they, re- they re- take themes and they repeat them. He's taking the theme that originally came from the guaranteed eternal sanctuary man and, and giving it a whole new flavor of meaning based on the change in the world, the words and, um, you know, leading us home to the new Jerusalem. But so I love that for me, the person who takes me home uh, on the live versions is fucking Steve Hackett. Yeah. Um, he is playing the melody. He is bending so sweet. And, you know, those notes. And uh, on a couple of those live versions, he does just does these extended solos at the end, which I find are way more satisfying than the silly fades that happen on the album and then in, right. the, in the earlier live right. versions. Right, 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 right. Watching, watching Steve... In those performances, and the the one that I've I've spent the most time with recently is the Toddmobile one. He's great because he's, you know, he's 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 bending with the strings. He's he's whammy barring it. He's doing both. I mean, he's just he, and like I said, there's something about that performance that Steve just seems so freaking energized and happy. It's mm, a joy yeah. to watch. It really, yeah, really yeah. is, and. And plus the guitar he's got on that version is just beautiful. I love it. Mm. I'm assuming that's Royal Albert Hall. That's what Spotify carries for Genesis, Genesis Revisited. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really fantastic. So yeah, that, that's, that is a, that's a great point. Um, Paul, I, I really do. Um, I, 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 I made some snarky comment couple days ago about the uh unnecessary wankage but you know it's i that's that was an unfair statement and i agree with you one mm. thing i, I mm. do want to point out um with regard to the Toddmobile one because they had the full symphony with the with the band and steve i have sort of a a fascination with orchestra conductors i i, I just <laughs> We should probably just stop right there. No, <laughs> no. I, I mean, there's there's a there's a performance to that, and I enjoy. Oh, for sure. I, I yeah. enjoy. You know, there there are certain things about it that I enjoy, and, and like anything else, there are other people who are over the top. I was fixated on the conductor in the Toddmobile mm. version, and I'll point people to there. There's one. There's one quick moment. It's right around five minutes and thirty seconds into the song. And, you know, this guy is, he's having as much fun as Steve Hackett is. And it's just, it just makes me smile every time I see it. Um, it, It's just, it's cool. So. Mm, That's awesome. Yeah. Very much enjoy that. So. I I did make one note that at eight minutes and 31 seconds in the Ted Mobile version, (laughs) the, (laughs) the, um, the flutes are, are a little in my face. <laughs> the scoring there was 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 pretty strong, and I actually laughed at at how 
loud in the mix the flutes came out there it was like <laughs> it, I, I i just expected i don't know a revolutionary war kind of a boo thing to well uh, because but, i think we're so used to pete playing it you know by himself and pete was always um you know he, he, he pedestrian he was restrained i was gonna go for but pedestrian okay. sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> we can go there wow <laughs> that brings up a point, though. So I don't know the answer to this, and I wonder if you guys do. So in the in the versions after Pete is gone, where does the where do the flute sounds come from? Does Tony play them? Do we know? I don't know. Um, that's part of the sparse beauty of it. I think I think some are just gone, and yeah, others are because I mean there there are sections like. Oh, the end of uh, of Willow Farm just before Apocalypse and Nine Eight. You know that's yeah that's always there, and it sounds very flute like. But it's I mean, there's no indication that anyone played flute, so I'm guessing mm -hmm. it was probably just Tony with a sample or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's my guess. Yeah, which brings me to the other thing that I find disappointing in '80s era. Genesis versions of this, they did not use the orchestra chimes and they played those notes on guitar. Mm. Which mm -hmm. just doesn't work for me. I'm going to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there, there, there are those little spots that can send a chill up your back, like 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 the children singing the, 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 the nursery rhyme on the playground, and that was an actual choir right. in the Todmobile version. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah, I mean, so I, I, you know, much as I suspected, we had no problem talking for a very long time about a single song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm pretty much spent at this point. I, I you know, I, I've got nothing else. Do you guys have anything to, uh, to sort of finish this up, or have we pretty much covered it? Uh, we, we, we forced ranked our babies. It's a cardinal sin, but we had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't. We actually didn't get back to what our favorite section of the song is, though. That's true. It depends. Yeah, it kind of moves around. I I think I'd probably have to pick as sure as eggs is eggs, which is mm. funny because it's a really terrible title for a great section of music. Well, why don't why don't why don't we rate the. the the pieces, and I'll, I'll read through each one, and you guys Ooh. can um, vote with either Dad Diddly Office or Soil, okay? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what's, would be your what's good and what's bad? I'm confused. Dad Diddly Office is good, okay. and Soil is bad. Yeah, but okay? I hate Dad Diddly Office. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather... You, all right, you can substitute Mom Diddly Washing. Oh, God, Jesus. Okay. Oh, okay. my gosh. Right. Listen, you're all full of ball. That's all <laughs> All right, so, so so rate each section. Okay, Lover's Leap. That's wonderful. Dad Diddly Office. Uh, guaranteed Eternal Sanctuary, man. It's wonderful. Dad Diddly Office. <laughs> Ictaton, Itzakon, and the Band of Merry Men. It's also wonderful. Dad Diddly Office. How dare I be so beautiful? Wonderful. Dad Diddly Office. <laughs> Willow Farm. Dad Diddly Office. Uh, it's good. I, oh, I, I, oh. I, yeah, I didn't ask you. Did you not like P 
Peter Gabriel's prancing around the stage in oh 1973? Oh my god, I wanted to fucking punch myself. Jesus wow. Christ. Okay. I, I honest to God. You could have just said soil. <laughs> I hated, hated that whole performance by him. Hated it. Oh, okay. And and wow. don't get me started on the little preamble bullshit. Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh. They were tuning twelve the strings. Cut him a break. Right. Okay. <laughs> Where was I? Apocalypse in nine eight, co-starring the delicious talents of Gabble Ratchet. Wonderful. I'm going with soil until I can figure out where one is. <laughs> <laughs> That's Just valid. Jealous. That's totally valid. You're jealous. As sure as eggs is eggs, aching men's feet. I'll even diddly I'll give that a dad diddly office, even though I think Thank it's a you. terrible. Thank phrase. you. I'll take <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and like I said, you know, I I I don't even dislike Willow Farm. I, I think it's it's a it's it's a very wonderful purposeful piece but <laughs> the, the the beauty the beauty of this song and which is similar to many of the great progressive epics if you will is that there are so many little wonderful tidbits in here you know you don't end up just spending your whole day at the office humming one part yeah you know part of the morning you'll be doing one part later in the day you'll be doing something else. And then I find myself whistling just the guitar line at the very end. You know, it's just, there's so many wonderful little parts that stick with you for so long. And it's a, it's a gem. It really is a gem. So gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. I'm glad that we, uh, we actually took the time to do it. It was a little weird, you know, going around from calling all stations and 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 flipping mm -hmm. back and listening to uh, Supper's Ready for two mm. weeks, but oh so welcome. But it, oh, oh so welcome. welcome. It it really was. Like I said, I I the more time I spend with this, the more I love it. So I'm I'm glad we did this. And and as always, I thank you, gentlemen. And very. I did. I do confess, I did accidentally end up listening to Foxtrot about five times. <laughs> <laughs> it it happens, you know. Fair enough. Mm. All right. God. I'm going to buy a Steve Hackett ticket as soon as we're done this, just, just to show Nad some love. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver on the gem that is Supper's Ready. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we welcome, invite, and solicit your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>